to Intersert, the podcast specifically designed for anyone taking their Quartermaster Sommelier's certified exam. I'll be your host, Albert Beltran, and that intro song was recorded and produced by George Viascusa. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Our first episode will be on Chablis. Chablis is considered to be part of Burgundy, however, it is not directly attached to Burgundy. Chablis is located 150 miles southwest of Champagne and about 115 miles southeast of Paris. Chablis is located on the 47th parallel, and as we all know, the parallel is referring to the equator. So as you move away from the equator, theoretically, you should get colder. I say theoretically because there are some regions that are more continental that are significantly warmer than their coastal counterparts. The climate of Chablis is considered a continental or a semi-continental, which means it has very hot summers, very cold winters. However, there's a lot more humidity in the air. The region is also highly susceptible to frost, rain, hail, and mildew. All of these factors can affect the yield of a certain vintage. In the 2016 vintage, the yield reduced down to 50%. The region of Chablis does have a river that flows through it called the Serene River that flows south to north. The river cuts the region in half, and oftentimes the region itself is referred to the right bank of the region or the left bank of the region. The right bank of the region does host all of the Grand Cru's, and of course some very wonderful Premier Cru's. While the left bank has no Grand Cru's, it does have a plethora of Premier Cru's. France, of course, has the AOC system, which means that these wine regions are regulated by the government itself. And to get the stamp of a certain region, you have to follow strict guidelines and different parameters depending on the region itself. In regards to Chablis, any wine that has the name Chablis on it, whether it is a Petit Chablis, a Chablis AOC, a Premier Cru Chablis, or a Grand Cru Chablis, the grape juice itself has to be a 100% Chardonnay. Chablis itself is on a tier system with the Grand Cru's being on top of the pyramid, so to speak, the Premier Cru's directly under the Grand Cru's, the Chablis AOC itself under the Premier Cru's, and at the lowest tier of the pyramid would be the Petit Chablis. Now you may be wondering what makes a Petit Chablis different from a AOC Chablis. Uh, the main difference is the actual soil type. Petit Chablis is Chardonnay that is grown on a Portlandian soil, which is anywhere from 125 to 130 million years old. Uh, so newer soil, whereas anything Chablis AOC and above is grown on Kimmeridgian limestone. And when you see Kimmeridgian limestone, you note that there are small oyster shells in it, little fossilized creatures, because this region itself was actually once covered by the ocean. And as time progressed, the ocean receded, and what we were left with were all those little shells and fossilized sea life creatures. Now you may be wondering, what's the main difference between the Portlandian soil and the Kimmeridgian limestone? And that's where I'm here to help. The Portlandian soil is actually limestone itself, but it's a harder limestone. Um, and oftentimes it cracks with frost, which is good for aeration. It's, you know, it's really ideal when you're thinking about drainage. Um, however, the Portlandian soils are typically on a more gentle slope rather than a steeper slope. Kimmeridgian limestone, however, is really known for its ideal water retention. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to cultivate. Uh, it helps when it comes to the actual structure of the vine. And it's not overly hard. It actually contracts and retracts quite well. I think soil plays a big part in the actual labeling of the AOC system there in Chibli. You know, but when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, the actual 
Chablis AOCs, the Preme Cruz, the Grand Cruz, are on better sites in regards to their slope and as well as their placement to the sun. As we discussed earlier, Chablis is in a very cold region. Um, and in cold regions, you want to give your grapes as much light and sun exposure as possible. The Grand Cru vineyards sit with some south exposure there, so they see quite a bit of the sun. Thus, they are considered to be on a warmer site and are often picked at a higher sugar level. And that brings us into our next topic, uh, the minimum alcohol levels in each of the AOC regulations. We previously discussed that the seal of approval from one of these regions in France is really regulated by the government. In Chablis itself, the actual AOC tier is regulated uh, not only by the soil type, but also by the alcohol as well. So in Petit Chablis, uh, and this is something I think we should all note, the minimum alcohol level has to be 9.5, uh, or else it cannot be considered Petit Chablis. In Chablis, as far as Chablis AOC, the minimum alcohol required is 10%. For the Preme Cruz, 10.5%. And to be called a Chablis Grand Cru, it has to have at least a minimum alcohol of 11%. Of Chablis planted vineyards, about a thousand hectares are considered Petit Chablis, or 18% of the total. Um, the Chablis AOC vineyards are about 3,500 hectares. That's 66% of the total. The Preme Cruz, which there are 40 Preme Cruz, uh, account for 800 hectares of the vineyards, so 14%. And the seven Climats, or the Grand Cruz, consist of 100 hectares, or 2% of the total acreage. Now let's talk about some of the Grand Cruz. Now you see the Grand Cruz don't sit directly north to south. They actually sit northwest to southeast. What you should know is their names from north to south and from south to north. So from northwest to southeast, they start in the northwest with Bourgo, Preuse, uh, Vol d'Azir, Grenouille, Volmer, Le Clos, and Blanchot. And there is a certain art to it when you're selling it on the floor as well. When they order a Grenouilles, you know, and they say it completely wrong. It's like, oh, wonderful, the, you know, the Grenouille from producer XYZ. And oftentimes, yeah, that's the one. You bring it by and then you do your whole song and dance and your presentation. And honestly, I'll probably get some heat for even mispronouncing it and not saying it the fully proper way. Um, but again, I'm still learning. I think we're all still learning. Uh, and I have one friend out there. His name's Tyler. He studied at a French restaurant. And, you know, his pronunciations of these villages, I mean, awesome. He does a great job. Uh, you know, I just haven't had enough training with, you know, under that French regime. Uh, but, you know, working on it. And we'll all eventually get there. But it's just, you know, constant repetition. And, you know, how often do you saw Le Clos? You know, probably one of the easier ones to pronounce. And, uh, you know, you sell it, you know, maybe three times a week. Uh, but, you know, a Borgol, how often do you sell that, right? Also, one of the last things I do want to talk about are the Preme Cruz. Uh, just, you know, names to note, really. Uh, if you're studying for your certified, I think knowing the seven Climats, the Grand Cruz, uh, those bad boys, I mean, that's essential. That's a must. You should recognize them on paper. Uh, you know, you should be able to you know, know how they sort of sound. Uh, read about each one of them. Um, you know, I can tell you that Leclos is the biggest one and, and Grenouille is going to be the smallest one. But you should really, you know, get on Guild Psalm if you're not a member. Read up on it. You know, take that extra step there. 
Uh, again, this is supposed to be uh, like an easy study guide, kind of for the ears when your eyes are a little bit tired. Uh, but anyways, I'd like to go over, you know, basically the Preme crews. Uh, there are 40 Preme crews. Uh, you know, but I hate to say not everyone is important, but there are significantly more important ones than others. So anyways, without further ado, let's talk about the Preme crews. Uh, so when you think about the Preme crews, really think about the Serene River going through them from south to north. Now, you have a right bank and a left bank. The right bank has all the Grand Crews on it, uh, and it also has a couple of really popular, really famous uh, Preme crews. Um, so I'm just going to name a few of them. You know, For Charm is probably one of the bigger ones you'll see it. It's a good value. Uh, Le Fourneau, spelled F-O-U-R-N-E-A-U-X. Uh, Montemelou, uh, that's another popular one. Uh, Monte de Tonnerre, Vaucoupan, Berdio. And those are probably the most notable of the 40 selections. Uh, now let's go over to the left bank here. On the left bank, we have a couple of real popular ones. Uh, one of the top ones being Vaillon and Montmont. There's also 4A and Buteau, Le Beauregard, Bois, Cote Leche, Vaux de Vey, Vaux and Vosgro. And again, I don't think that knowing each and every one by heart is super significant to passing your certified exam. Uh, but they are names to know, and as you study for your advance, you know, you're going to want to dive a little bit deeper into each of those. Um, that being said, I would like to talk about the typical descriptors and structure for Chablis. This is uh, more to help with your actual tastings than anything else. If you go to the Guildsom website, and if you're not a member, uh, do sign up. They don't sponsor me, but really, it is a great place for resources. Um, but anyways, what they do is they have a list of different grape varietals and they have kind of what you should be looking for and what the actual grape tastes like from certain regions. They have one on white burgundy, specifically Maconnet. They have one on Napa Chardonnay and they, they have one for Chablis that's actually extremely thorough. So I just kind of want to read it to you. So here it goes. On a typical Chablis, the color should be pale to straw with hints of green, moderate concentration. Uh, on the aromas and flavors, you'll get a moderate intensity. The fruit should be tart to just ripe tree fruits. That's green apples, yellow apples, green pears, uh, citrus like lemon. Uh, oftentimes, I'll get lime. They don't put that here, but uh, I, I do get that. You'll get some sulfuric notes, especially in youth. It says you get some flint, burnt match, slight cabbage. Now, flint, again, is you know one of those big descriptors for Sancerre, but you know just kind of just kind of take it back and we'll go through this. Uh, the oxidative notes, if they're, uh, you know, if they're actually made in neutral barrels, and a lot of producers will put them in neutral barrels just to kind of round them out a little bit and to give some oxygen to the wine. Uh, you oftentimes see a lot of stainless steel used for kind of your Chablis AOC quality wines, and you, you'll oftentimes see some kind of oak um, neutral and sometimes even a percentage of new French uh, in those higher end Grand Cru Chablis. Um, you'll also get, you know, kind of with, on par with the oxidative notes, some hazelnut almond says cheese rind here. Uh, for floral, it says faint white flowers, apple blossom, hawthorn, acacia. Uh, the earth, it says high minerality, stony, chalky, uh, some saline, uh, sea spray, oyster shell, button mushroom. Uh, I think oyster shell is one of the big ones. You, it, it almost does smell like an oyster shell. 
uh, when it's a true Chablis. Um, and then oak usage, sometimes they'll use no oak, other times they'll use neutral barrel. Uh, it really is, you know, a producer influence thing. Um, you know, as far as the structure goes, this thing says bone dry to dry, absolutely. Uh, moderate to moderate plus body, they, they can have some weight on them, absolutely. Uh, elevated to high acidity, uh, when, you know, when it's one of those super cold vintages, the acidity is way up there. Uh, and moderate alcohol, um, and again, moderate in regards to what the court calls moderate, so anywhere between 11.5 to 12.5. I did also want to take this last minute or two to talk about different producers. Uh, when you do take your exam, a master sommelier will grill you on different food pairings. Uh, you know, they'll say, oh yes, I am having the steak tartare uh, with Dijon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I lost my train of thought. Uh, Dijon, salt, egg, pepper, uh, you, you know, they, they really get into the actual aspects of the food, which is great. Uh, but part of your job as a SOM, because again, you're taking your certified theoretically if you're listening to this, and if you're not, that's fine. It's just more information than you want. Uh, but theoretically, you're supposed to be a SOM on the floor, and you're supposed to be helping this person have a very uh, extraordinary meal, something that, you know, will help elevate the experience. And, you know, and into mind comes parents. So, you know, they'll ask you, uh, you know, something along that line. And what, what you should really do is have a couple producers in your head for each grape. Um, and this is something my old boss, Sal Medina, taught me. Uh, Sal's at Packing House Wines in Claremont. Awesome selection. Worked there for a couple years. Um, a year and a half, actually. I ended up getting a job afterwards. And, um, you know, sad that I had to leave, but he really helped me. Uh, become who I am today. So shout out to you, Sal, if you're listening, if you got this far. Uh, if you didn't listen, you know, someone tell Sal that he was called out and he'll be like, ah, man, I should listen, you know, and it'd be kind of funny. Uh, anyways, back to what I was saying. Uh, yeah, so you have to pair some wine. So have two producers, one in each style, essentially. So uh, if you're going to recommend Chardonnay for the, you know, for the half-roasted chicken, you know, if you're going to do Chardonnay, that's fine. You know, I'm not saying it's a perfect pairing, not saying it's a bad pairing, um, but essentially you're supposed to pair some food. Anyways, you have a half-roasted chicken. Uh, you want to pair some Chardonnay with it, uh, but have two different styles of Chardonnay when you recommend it, and be able to explain each one. You know, I have this oaky Chardonnay from Napa, it's called Rombauer, and I have this Morgan Metallico unoaked Chardonnay from Monterey. Anyways, they'll hit you with, yeah, I don't drink American wine. And your job as a son is to recommend something, now because they don't drink American wine, something from the old world. Uh, I like, you know, we like to think old world, new world. Um, you, and this is your opportunity to really shine. You can show them, yeah, you know, I, I know a little bit about the old world. You know, um, you can recommend producers that are well known. You know, Albert Bichot is a massive producer all throughout Burgundy. Not just Chablis, but he does produce a Chablis. You know, Joseph Druin, uh, everyone knows Joseph Druin. Uh, you can go with big producers because big producers kind of run the gambit of things, you know. You know, is it an Albert B. Show from, you know, Bourgogne or is it an Albert B. Show Burgundy? Is it Joseph Druon from, you know, like true Burgundy or is it Chablis? Uh, they make both. Uh, or you can kind of go straight to the source. You know, Christian Moreau runs the gambit. He makes AOC level Chablis as well as also making Grand Cru level Chablis. So, you know, his Grand Cru's have a little bit of oak usage to them and a little bit of new oak as well, uh, you know, where his regular AOC level Chablis is really made stainless steel. I mean, th there's almost no oak to it at all. 
Um, you know, John Mark Picard is another great producer in that region. Um, you know, if you recommend something like Francois Raveneau, yeah, super, super stylistically correct producer just about every time. Um, but you don't want to really recommend that because that's one of the most expensive, not one of the most expensive, that's a more expensive wine to get from Chablis. Um, and, you know, not every diner is going to want that. You know, a lot of diners, uh, yes, we would all like Francois Raveneau, awesome producer. But again, not everyone has a million bucks every day. So, you know, recommend the Christian Moreau's, the John Mark Picard, uh, you know, the Albert B. Show, basically your entry level stuff because this is your certified, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe for advance, you know. <laughs> I have the uh, Christian Moreau, this is his Le Clos. Uh He's got, you know, three hectare partial, you, you know. You can throw that in there, definitely, but this is certified, let's be real. Let's, uh, you know, focus on producers, have producers in two different styles, and, you know, just be yourself on the floor. That's what they want. They want you to be genuine. They want to see how much of a psalm you will actually be. So anyways, without further ado, thank you for listening. Um, I'm going to have a two-minute segment, not on this one, but it'll be kind of like episode 1.5, and I'll be doing it after each episode. Uh, I'll call it my flash hour, uh, basically an hour's worth of content in a two minutes of flashcards. Uh, you can kind of play with me. It'll be fun. Uh, but thank you for listening. Big shout out to George for letting me use his music for the first portion of the podcast. And yeah, I hope you guys have a good day. Hope you enjoyed listening and, uh, question, comments, or concern, please feel free to email or write. Uh, my email address is a B E L T R A N one zero zero two at Gmail. Nothing crazy. Uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing from some of you. And thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.